You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Scripture reading this morning is Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 9. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law the islands will put their hope. This is what the Lord, what God the Lord says, He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to his people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. And then let's go also to Matthew chapter 3. We'll start at verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw that, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn, and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The text this morning is Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. 
And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, you wouldn't want to live on the other side of the tracks. And that's because we use that expression today to uh, for places that are run down and are dangerous. You can't build a family, we would say, on the other side of the tracks. And if your children are playing in the neighborhood and someone from the other side of the tracks comes into your neighborhood, you would no longer feel safe. That's the way we use that expression. Well, the Jewish people in the time of John the Baptist, the time that Jesus was baptized as well, they had a similar expression in their day. They talked about living on the other side of the Jordan, on the other side of the river. And they were talking about the east side of the Jordan, and they even referred to that, that part of the, that side of the Jordan as Perea. That was the name of the, the region, and Perea is a word that means the other side of the river. So that's how they would refer to the east side of the river, Jordan. Well, the expression was popular among Jews because the river Jordan was important to them geographically, but also uh, as in the history of God's people. Crossing the Jordan in the history of God's people meant living with God, but crossing the Jordan to the east side of the Jordan meant life apart from God. And that's how they understood the river. Living on the other side of the Jordan meant living away from God's blessings, away from His covenant. And so we know that from the history of Israel that, that the Jews crossed the Jordan when they inherited the promised land. They also crossed the Jordan when the Lord sent them into exile, away from Him in punishment for their sins. So John the Baptist went to the Jordan River for a good reason. It wasn't a coincidence that he was standing in that river when he was preaching about repentance and baptizing. And there was good reason why so many people went to him from the surrounding regions and cities to meet him there. They also knew the the symbolic power and the significance of the Jordan River in John's ministry. John was using this river to show God's people, to proclaim to God's people that something very important in the history of salvation was happening, as important as the exodus, as important as the return from exile. That was John's message. Well, during the exodus, when Israel crossed the Jordan, they were getting ready to conquer the promised land. They were getting ready for God to go before them and conquer their enemies in the promised land. Well, now John baptized in the Jordan as a sign that God was getting ready for a different kind of conquest. This time, God is coming. He's coming to destroy sin. That's John's message. So when Jesus goes to the Jordan to be baptized by John the Baptist, well, God reveals to us who Jesus is and why He came. God uses that baptism to tell us something about the Lord's own ministry. It was to tell us that Jesus came to lead God's people across the Jordan again. Just like Joshua did thousands of years before. 
And God shows us that it's Jesus who would come like Joshua into battle and conquer their enemy, conquer sin. And He would bring them into a life with God. So when Jesus is baptized, God is showing us who Jesus is. God is showing us why Jesus came to earth. What's His ministry? What's His purpose on earth? What did He come to do? What's the mission that Jesus chose to accept? And that's the theme of the sermon this morning. God reveals to us the calling that Jesus accepted. And we'll see, firstly, that God reveals it with the baptism. Secondly, with His Spirit and His Word. So first, with baptism. Well, the Jewish people had been waiting for hundreds of years for the kingdom of heaven to come. Because even though they did cross the Jordan, it's true, and the Lord brought them home from exile, they crossed the Jordan, they inhabited that land, that real estate again. That's true. But the truth is, and everybody knew it, that they didn't live as if they were united with God again. And that was the problem in Israel up to the time of Jesus. Even though they were in the land God gave them, they still lived as if they were in exile. And they all knew it. And so God's people, the faithful in Israel, were waiting. They were still waiting for God to do for them what He promised in Isaiah 40. And in that prophecy, God comforts His people with the message of return from exile. God will one day tell them that their hard service is over. That they have received double for their sins. And then the result will be that God will gather them together. He will bring them to Himself. Isaiah describes it tenderly. Isaiah 40, verse 11. What will it be like when God and His people are finally joined together? When the exile is finally really over? It will be like this. Isaiah 40, verse 11. He tends His flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs into His arms and He carries them close to His heart. He gently leads those who have young. That's what it's going to be like. That's what the Jews are waiting for. And then here comes John the Baptist 400 years later, or after 400 years of not having a prophet speak to them. He's the first prophet in 400 years. He's dressed in camel's hair. He eats locusts and wild honey. He lives in the wilderness. And He cries out to the people that message in Isaiah. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so Matthew is showing us from the Old Testament, look, God is doing what He promised to do in Isaiah 40. It's happening now. He's the voice of one calling in the desert Prepare the way of the Lord. And that's why John was baptizing in the Jordan. So there he was, standing on the east side of the Jordan in Perea. And he's declaring that the time has finally come. It's here. He's saying that promise in Isaiah is here today. Your exile is over. It's time to cross the Jordan. For real this time. No faking it. Real repentance. 
Real return from exile. Real return to your God. Get ready, John says. God is coming and He's going to live with you. That's His message. Except when everyone hears the message, they accept for themselves that they're not ready. No one is ready and they know it. It's possible to feel pretty good about yourself when nobody ever challenges you. No one ever holds you to account. For example, you might feel pretty good about yourself, about your home, about the way your house looks when you're expecting a friend you always knew for coffee. Sure, he can stop in for the afternoon. That's no big deal on a Saturday afternoon. But what if someone told you that Prince William and the Duchess were coming for tea? I think you would feel a little bit different about the, the, the state of affairs in your own home, in your own house. You would notice that the floor is dirty. You would notice that you don't really have proper food to serve. You would realize that you're not ready. And this is what's happening to the Jews. This is what's happening to those who come to be baptized by John. They know deep down that they don't actually live according to the requirements of God, according to His righteousness. They know that they're covered in sins. They know that their lives are filled with sin and it it controls them. So what will they do when God comes? How will God be able to tell that they are God's people? Will they recognize His law in their lives? Will they recognize His righteous, will He recognize His righteousness in their lives? No, He won't, and they know it. They need to get ready and they need to repent in order to get ready for God to come. And that's why they all know they need John's baptism of repentance. And John is forceful in his message. He doesn't mince words. He's not afraid to declare to them the judgment that will come. And while he's crying out about the kingdom of heaven and repentance, the king is on his way. The king is walking from Galilee to Perea to the place in the Jordan where John is baptizing. 112 kilometers. He's on the trip now. And then John looks up from what he's doing and from his preaching and he he sees the king approaching him. It's Jesus walking into the water with John standing in front of the herald. What does John do? What do you want with me? He asks. What do you want me to do? Well, the king, King Jesus, says, I want you to baptize me. I want you to give me the baptism of repentance. And John is baffled. Why? Why would I baptize you? What sin are you repenting of? You've never sinned. You've never sinned. Why would I baptize you? With this baptism of repentance, doesn't make sense to John. And it's, it doesn't make sense for good reason. John is asking a very good question to the Lord. It's true, Jesus had never sinned before. Why be baptized? It's like Jesus, the king, is asking John to prepare him for his own coming. It doesn't really seem to make sense. Well, Jesus' answer is, let it be so now. 
It's proper for us to fulfill all righteousness. And what does Jesus mean by that? What's He telling John? Well, righteousness, so often we we treat the word as if it means just being a good person, but that's not what the Lord means in this context. He means it's proper to do what God expects of me. That's what He wants. It's proper for me to fulfill God's expectation right now in this moment. God wants Jesus to be baptized to fulfill His plan to save God's people. So John's right. Jesus doesn't need to repent. But Jesus is telling John that God has sent him on a specific mission and Jesus intends to fulfill it. He's accepted that mission and that's why He wants John to baptize him. What we might expect with John that Jesus should just come with an impressive display of power. Why bother with this baptism? You know, John said that he was going to clear the threshing floor and Jesus could have done that in a moment. He could have come to that river and just wiped out everyone who stood in his way. And those Pharisees who were after a a fake baptism, he could have just destroyed them right there on the spot. He's the king. He could have done it. He had the power. And he could have gathered together whomever he wanted to and protected them. He could have. But he doesn't do that. What does he do instead? He goes down to the river and he becomes just like those repentant sinners. He humbles himself. That's what he's doing. He gives up his right as the king and he becomes a servant. And he becomes baptized just like all those other repentant sinners. He becomes like them in every way except without sin. Jesus is the King who never sinned. And yet for all His power, for all His purity, His holiness, His godliness, He comes down to the river to be like us. The King went and He lived in the towns and the villages of His people. And He covers Himself with their filth, with their mess, so that He could bring them back to God. That was His purpose. And so also, reading this text, you might wonder for yourselves, you might be thinking of all the ways that you have sinned against God. Are you ready for God to come? You might be thinking of all the people that you've offended or hurt. All the obligations you've ignored, all the promises you've broken. What a mess. What a mess my life is. And you might... Remember all the things you do to drive yourself away from God into exile. How can you live with God? Why would God come into your life and live with you? But here we have God revealing with the Lord's baptism that shocking mission and that shocking plan. Because when you see Jesus being baptized by John, you know for sure that Jesus doesn't avoid anyone. He doesn't avoid repentant sinners. He comes and He comes to live with them. And that means you know from this baptism that Jesus will not avoid you either. He's with you no matter what you've done. 
and no matter what mess you've made of your life. Well, John the the Baptist is shocked. He's dismayed by what Jesus has asked, asked him to do. He's shocked by this plan, by this mission. He's shocked that Jesus chose to accept it. Well, you probably have these moments too, right? You you make a decision. He has made the decision to baptize. He consents. But now you wonder if it's the right thing to do. If only John could be sure that it was right to baptize Jesus, it doesn't feel right. And then, and then as John is dunking Jesus under the waters of the Jordan, he might be wondering, how is this supposed to fulfill all righteousness? Why does God want Jesus to be baptized? And then Jesus comes out of the water. And John sees that what he's done is what God wants of him. Because John sees the Spirit of God descending on the Lord's head, on Jesus' head. What does the Spirit say about John's baptism? How does the Spirit convince John? When the Spirit of God comes, He's testifying to what He promised in Isaiah 42. Here is My servant whom I uphold. I will put My Spirit on him. And will bring justice to the nations. And John knows it. The Spirit coming on Jesus means something. It's a testimony about Jesus. The Spirit anoints Jesus to show us that God has sent Him as that servant. He's the anointed one. John knew what anointing meant from the Old Testament. He knew it from from texts like Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel's ministry begins almost the same as the Lord Jesus' ministry. Ezekiel is sitting by the river in Babylon. And he's weeping by the river because of the exile. And then God comes to him. He says, Son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. And then the Spirit of God came into him and raises him to his feet. That's how Ezekiel's ministry begins. And that's how every prophet begins his ministry. The Spirit of God fills him and equips him for the ministry that God has given him. Their anointing was like a commission from God. It was a declaration to God's people that he comes from God, that he speaks the words of God on behalf of God. And so also when Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit, God was commissioning him. And we know that this is the beginning of the Lord's public ministry. Well, if John, after the Holy Spirit comes down, is still wondering whether this was the right thing to do. And if he was still wondering what this anointing meant, God's voice comes from heaven and and clears up any misunderstanding. This is what the voice says. This is my Son, whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. And here again, the Lord takes us back to Isaiah chapter 42. Here is my servant, whom I delight. Here is my servant, whom I uphold. My chosen one, in whom I delight. Those are the words of Isaiah 
chapter 42. Almost exactly the same. And so God's voice and His Spirit reveal to us the task that Jesus chose to accept. Not the task that we would expect from the righteous Son of God. John expected Him to come immediately. That's what He said. He's coming. Be careful. You better repent. He's coming to to destroy sinners. Unrepentant sinners. But Jesus doesn't come with this impressive show of power at all. He comes to fulfill His task as a humble servant. Isaiah prophesied about what kind of righteous servant or what kind of life the righteous servant would live. God said that His righteous servant would would be the suffering servant. And so the righteous Son of God, the One in whom God delighted, yet it was God's will to crush Him and to cause Him to suffer. Isaiah 53 he will take his and he will take our infirmities upon himself and he will carry our sorrows. We all like sheep have gone astray, Isaiah says, and the Lord has laid our iniquity on him. Well, the Lord's baptism in the Jordan is just the beginning. The suffering servant will continue to identify with his people. He will share in their suffering. He will take their their sins upon Himself. He will die their death. The death they deserve. Jesus called His cross His baptism. A baptism. The fire that He would have to endure. The punishment that He would have to endure. And so all that clearing of the threshing floor, all that judgment that John announced that he said, this is the Lord is going to bring this to you. Jesus came to be like us and took it himself. That's the mission he accepted at his baptism. Why would he do it? Why would the king do it? The Lord Jesus accept, accepted this mission because He wanted to rescue repentant sinners like us. And He wanted to rescue us from judgment and exile. He came to bring us back to God. And He brings you back by accepting your judgment and by dying your death. And so also when you are baptized, also when Brett and Cedars was baptized this morning. We and Him alike are all gathered up and, and included in what the Lord Jesus did at His baptism. In your baptism, you go through the water. You go through the water and into this new life. This new covenant. This new life of belonging to Jesus. You go through the water. You live on the other side now. What's it like? What's life like on the other side through the water? What's it like on the other side of the river? When Jesus came up out of the water, He heard the voice of God. And here's the promise. 
that in your baptism you are caught up in the life that Jesus gives. That means that the voice that spoke to Jesus speaks to you too. If you follow Christ across the water, the same voice speaks to you these words. This is my child, he says. With these children here, I am well pleased. That's what he says about you. God considers you a member of his own family. He's gathered you into his own household. And he gives you everything that that involves. And of course, we, we don't go from this point and say that you are baptized and automatically you're a recipient of God's saving love and it's done, you're finished, you don't have to do anything anymore. That's not what this is about. Your baptism does not automatically mean that you will experience the saving love of God. Many in Israel who crossed the Jordan River were not included in Christ. They rejected Him. Therefore, many who crossed the Jordan after the exile did not share and experience God's saving love. Neither did all those Israelites who crossed the Red Sea They were with God. They drank from that rock in the wilderness. They got manna from heaven. But God shows us that not all of them entered and crossed the river and lived in the promised land. Many of them were destroyed. And the Apostle Paul warns us of this in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, many in Israel crossed the Red Sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. He continues with this warning, yet God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. And the Apostle tells the Corinthians this and us too as a warning. Do not think that just because you received baptism that you are automatically finished and automatically a recipient of God's saving grace. And Paul wants us to know you have to respond to God's covenant love with repentance and faith. You need repentance and faith in order to to make this real in your own life. That's the warning that Paul gives. But we all have the promise. All of us who are baptism are caught up in what Jesus did in His baptism. And therefore, we all have the promise. And that means that if you do respond to what God has done in repentance and faith, God will give you His Spirit. He will. In your baptism, you receive this pledge. The Holy Spirit that came on Jesus and landed on Him and filled Him and equipped Him for His ministry will come to you, fill you, and equip you for your ministry and for your life with God. The Holy Spirit gives you what you need for your calling. 
He teaches you. He convinces you, yes, you are God's child. And He cleanses you from your sins. And He transforms your life. That's the promise. That's what you're caught up in. That's what Brett's been caught up in too this morning. That baptism. You know, we have so many plans for our own lives. Plans for us that seem to make more sense. Things we want to accomplish. Things we think we need. Ways we think it should go. John, for example, thought Jesus should just come in and and start destroying. But what a better plan that Jesus was willing to humble Himself and die. What a shocking message. What a shocking gospel. And that's the message today. So when you put your trust in Jesus Christ and you follow Him, across the river and down the path that He will lead and you follow Him in repentance and in faith. God will teach you His shocking plan for you in your life. You will see that Jesus has led you from exile, from judgment into freedom. He's brought you across the water into a life of freedom from sin, where God gathers you also into His arms, where He carries you close to His heart forever. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.